Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janus Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janus Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the diverging Dow, the index setting more new highs today while the rate-sensitive Nasdaq gets slammed again. What does it mean for your money? We'll ask Tom Lee. He joins us today, and he has a new target for the S&P 500 to reveal. We will debate that with our investment committee, of course. Joining me for the hour today, Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private Wealth. Joe Terranova is here along with Steve Weiss and Jim Labenthal. Take you to the wall, show you what stocks are doing right now. Broken record, sort of, because the Dow sets another new high today. So did the Russell. Big story continues to be all the way on the right-hand side of your screen. Look at the yield on the 10-year note, 161, almost 162. It is up 6% today. And that's helping drive NASDAQ down again because those high growth and momentum stocks don't like higher rates. That's just the facts. Shannon Sakosha, we're in a trend game, right? The, da- the trend is with the Dow. The trend is with cyclical stocks. Rates higher, NASDAQ lower. We're, this is where we're at. And we're going to continue to oscillate here between these two divergent uh, paths over the course of the next month or so. Um, you know, as long as there's continuing pressure on up, you know, upward rate pressure, which, by the way, is great, right? We want to see stronger economic growth. We want to see modestly higher inflation, um, as that's indicative of economic growth. We are going to get to a point where we need to see earnings expectations start to offset the fears on rates. And the challenge here is that as strong as the reflationary rebound is and as much interest as there is in in adding to cyclicals, and you had uh, Stephanie Link talk Monday about 70 percent of her portfolio being in cyclicals, the reality is, is that technology, and we're going to talk about this, it's such a huge part of the indexes. And that's the challenge here is that you can't see this, you know, kind of coordinated lift higher until we relieve some of the pressure from this interest rate scenario. And that happens when the fundamentals improve. That happens with higher earnings expectations. And so over the course of the next month or so, um, I think you can either be a very short term uh, trader or you need to look out over the next several four, five, six quarters, anticipate that those earnings are gonna come in and make those valuations more attractive, and frankly, hold your nose on some of these uh, growth names that you really wanna hold as we enter a stronger economic period. Joe, you can't get out of the trend. I'm looking at the the 10-year note yield on, on my fact set right now, okay? So I said it's, you know, it's up six, per, six and a quarter percent today, it's up 82% over the past three months, 142% over the past six months. How can you get out of this cycle of selling in the NASDAQ if that trend continues for a while? Because I love the word that Shannon used, which is oscillating. And that's exactly what we're doing. So what's the difference if one game your, uh, your point guard 
scores 35 points, and the next game, your center scores the 35 points. As long as you're winning the game and moving in the overall direction of the trend, that's what matters. Keep in mind, the NASDAQ has recovered much of the correction that it's already experienced. Now, you mentioned a 10-year Treasury, and I think this is what's positive about the environment as I look at the capital markets right now. On February 25th, the 10-year Treasury broke above 1.6%. At that time, the VIX was 29 this time around, the 10-year Treasury going back above 1.6, well, the VIX is only pricing at 22. So I think we're growing a little bit more comfortable with an environment realizing that there's economic optimism, there's a lot of stimulus coming from Washington, D.C., and that's going to lead to a normalization in rates that's probably going to push it towards 2%. And in that world, there are going to be a relaxation in the abnormality where you saw that concentrated tech performance. But I agree with Shannon. It doesn't mean you completely pare back all your allocations towards it. You want a little bit of both. And overall, the trend continues to point higher for both of them. Yeah, but are you saying that cyclicals and tech can work at the same time? Because the jury seems to be still out yes. about that. Maybe eventually yes. we can get to that point. But you're, you're not in that scenario now, Joe. I mean, the, the market's telling the story. This is not me saying it to you. It's the market saying that. So it, it, in, in, the, in the cycle of the last two and a half months, you're 100% correct. But overall, a healthy, normal market wants my favorite word, Scott. It wants dispersion. It does not. It wants the performance to be ubiquitous. It does not want to have concentrated performance, a bifurcated market of clear winners and clear losers. So I like we this environment that, in which we're finally seeing. Do we I have like that? the environment that we're, we have. What, Scott? You, you I mean, we have tech, which is not working. In an environment where rates are going up, and you're saying that's a good thing, you want to have the dispersion. Absolutely. So when you say tech is not working, okay, yeah. a lot of the tech that's not working is the emerging technology. Scott, is Microsoft working year-to-date? Is Alphabet working year-to-date? Those companies are working for you. There's other places within technology that are working as well. So maybe some of the stocks that pulled forward some of the growth because of the pandemic, like a Zoom, even like a DocuSign, which I owned. Well, you're going to see a significant relaxation in their valuation. I understand that. That's normalizing the abnormal, but you still see technology is working. Yeah, parts of it are working. The question, Steve, is, is what happens now from here? I mean, you, I don't know how we're going to get out of this cycle unless the market finally decides that rates are going up for the right reason. I mean, we know rates are going up for the right reason. This is the crazy part. We know rates are going up for the right reason. The economy's improving. That still doesn't mean that you're not going to have uh, an issue with just valuations getting re-rated. I mean, that's natural. Multiples are going to get compressed. The more rates go up and some stocks are going to work better than others. Or are we saying that everything's just going to work together because we're so optimistic about the big boom we're going to have? I don't think everything's going to work. I agree, though, with pretty much everything Joe said, except I don't think the VIX is an accurate portrayal of what the volatility is in the market. I think there's more volatility. But here's my theory in the market. Look, as I've repeatedly said, we've shrunk the number of publicly traded equities by about half over the last 15 years, which means that last rate cycles are different than this rate cycle. 
you add in the component of relative value quant trading that sees rates go up and they sell equities automatically. And because you have fewer equities, plus you have fewer trade those equities because 50% are owned by the index funds, it exacerbates the moves. So I do think you're going to continue to see rates move up. I do think you're going to continue to see the high flyers that are the longer duration stocks, the zooms. And by that, I mean that they trade more in a discounted cash flow analysis. Okay. So it's the value of money going out forward. So those will continue to be under pressure. But as we get into the April quarter, what we're going to see is that companies are going to be willing to give you guidance for a year out rather than just a quarter. And tech will separate. There'll be the Zooms and the Teladocs, et cetera, on one side. There'll be the Corvos, the Qualcomms, the uh, T-Techs on the other side that are cheap stocks that grow in every cycle and Let are going to grow you faster in this cycle. Let me ask yes. you this, okay? Let me break it down mm -hmm. this way, and we can have a fight, a debate, mm -hmm. or whatever you want to have on it. Would you buy Boeing today? Or would you buy Microsoft or Apple today? Which one do you think has greater upside in the kind of world that we're about to live in? You tell me, because Boeing keeps hitting new highs every single day. Apple's about $25 mm -hmm. off of its high. Microsoft is off of its high as well. What's your answer, Steve? Well, first of all, I did buy a little Boeing today. I haven't bought any more, any more Microsoft, nor have I sold any Microsoft through this. But that's a little unfair that question no, it's not. because Boeing is a recovery <laughs> well that's a recovering story yeah. unto itself that's my point Boeing. no 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 so, I, I get it I get it I get it. You, it it's a recovery story in and of itself from Boeing. the problems it had with the max totally get you okay two years this two years ago this week right in fact the max was grounded however mm -hmm. okay it's a recovery story it's about the economy reopening about right. people traveling about airlines ordering planes which by the way they are this week Southwest Airlines, right. I think, is, was close to a deal, along with somebody else, too. Just tell me. Let's, let's have a debate. But, Boeing but let me or answer, Microsoft I'll, I'll answer today? That question. Today, it's Boeing. And today, as I said on the show Wednesday, I cut back my tech exposure, my semi-exposure, and have been adding and balanced out for the reopening and the sickle trades. So that's why I think we'll outperform, because rates, in my view, are going to keep accelerating. You don't have a bell that goes off in typical recession. In this recession, you do. And that bell's going to ring loud and clear May 1, if not before, when everybody's vaccinated. So you have most of the economy, maybe 90%, 85% of the economy, that it's not been impacted financially by the pandemic. If anything, it's been positive for them because they've had costs they haven't had to spend. So when that bell goes, that's when you see all this pent-up demand return. So you'll see an economy that explodes, maybe even more than the 7%. So that's why I want to be in the sickle and reopening trades more so than tech. Okay. See, I just needed to press you a little bit. I knew I was going to get an answer out of you. I just yeah. had to work a little harder. To get it. Boeing, by the way. Okay, here's the order. As you always do. Yeah, that's, that's what I do. That's what I got to do. Huh. Right? I, I just want to be clear. I, I was, you know, giving you innuendo and all that about these orders. Reuters reporting on Wednesday that uh, Boeing was close to a multi-million dollar deal to sell dozens, uh, a multi-billion dollar, excuse me, dozens of the 737 MAX 7 jets to Southwest Airlines. Boeing said on Friday the private investment firm 777 Partners has agreed to buy 24 737 MAX airplanes. So orders are picking up. Optimism is picking up. Farmer Jim, I'm going to ask you the same question. Okay? I think you may own both. Yeah. All right? Well, right now, which well, is going to be the which is going to be the better stock for the let's just call it the remainder of this year, Boeing yeah. or Microsoft? 
Oh, man. I'll tell you what. I'm going to answer the question directly because I know better than to fool around with you. But the answer today is Apple and Qualcomm. Okay. And, but, but, but let's put this into perspective. Two weeks ago, maybe it was three weeks ago, on the show I told you I was adding to Boeing. One week ago on the show I told you I was adding to Apple and Qualcomm. So, I mean, you follow my actions and you have to see that Apple and Qualcomm are the most recent. And I think with the drawdown, just take Apple for a second, all right? It's off 18% from its high set on January 25th. Its peg ratio is 1.9. That's, that's a measure of how cheap the growth in earnings is going to be. And I'm telling you, 1.9 peg ratio for Apple is gull darn cheap. Um, finally, to the extent that it's been knocked off by 10-year treasuries, I mean, let's call it like it is. 10-year treasuries have doubled in six months. Sure, they may get to 2%, but they're awfully close right now. So the tactical opportunity is in Apple. But don't mistake me, Scott. You know I love Boeing. You know I've got a big position in it. Added to it three weeks ago. Um, it's just a question of how much is it up this week? What, like 15% this 19%. week? 19%. This is not tactic. Yeah, Maybe so even a little bit more. We'll call it, I mean, it's probably close to 20 at this point. Um, but yeah, it's been the biggest winner. Yeah, so I'm not going uh, to. Gonna... them. Yeah, it's, I'm not going to talk it down, but do I really want to buy more of it today? And your question is today. I know you, Scott. You don't mess around. If I don't answer the question today, I get in trouble. So the answer is Apple. Okay, well, that, that's what I'm after. Joe, I, 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 oh, you saw, got it. I saw you, Joe, while I was talking to Weiss. Uh, you wanted to get in on this. Uh, maybe Shannon does, too. But, Joe, you go first, right? I mean, it basically is a, okay, so- it's a, it's a mega cap tech versus a Boeing, right? We're using, it doesn't have to be so Microsoft specific, but you get the spirit of my question and what many viewers may be thinking about today. Okay, I see this trend happening. Boeing's breaking out. Love the fangs for obvious reasons, but what's going to get me more bang over the rest of this year? Great question. Scott, I'm enjoying watching On the Edge. The other night, you talked about Boeing. If I want to buy an airplane in an environment where we're going to have a CapEx recovery, an industrial renaissance, and 7% domestic growth, where am I going to go to buy the airplane? There's two places. You said it the other night. It's a duopoly. Boeing's the place. So I think you said Microsoft was 5% off its all-time high. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure. But here's what I know about Boeing. Boeing's 45% off its high from 2019. So obviously, there's far more upside for Boeing in the near term, in particular in an environment where we're trying to capture this economic growth that we haven't seen since 1984, and there's really nowhere else to go for supply. All right. Well, let's continue to talk about reopening. Let's continue to talk about cyclical stocks, reopen stocks, epicenter stocks, however you want to characterize them, with our featured guest today who is now calling for an even bigger S&P breakout, maybe sooner than some people had expected. Tom Lee is the head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors. Welcome back. It's good to see you on this Friday. Yeah, great to see you, Scott. Big headline from you today, man, is the breakout implies S&P 4300 in the first half of this year. Tell us why. Uh, yeah, I mean, the S&P did something really important yesterday. It, it broke to a new high after a period of consolidation. One thing we have to keep in mind, if you look at the last two periods of consolidation and breakout, you had almost an immediate 10% rally. So that gets us to 4,300. But if we think about where the market is today compared to the start of the year, there's a lot of reasons to be more optimistic. You know, the, the path of the disease seems to be coming under control faster. And I think Biden's speech last night was really comforting to me. We've got brand new leadership coming through Epicenter 
These are under owned names and they have the potential to rally another 50, 60%, which could fuel this S&P move. And more importantly, I, I, I do think that VIX is giving us a pretty decent signal. And finally, I think that you know, the average American is ready to resume their analog life, you know, leave this digital life behind it. And that gives us a lot of surprise. And there's a huge relief package coming that's going to deliver a lot of money to make that happen. So I, I think that we should be pretty optimistic about markets. All good points. Um, and, and it's hard to disagree with you. And I think the move today in rates is directly related to what the president said last night about wanting all adults to be eligible by May 1st. Maybe that's sooner than some people had anticipated. So the reopen and the boom, if you will, could happen quicker than people thought, and thus rates are going to rise. But is that a problem if rates continue to rise and maybe even speed faster than some people are comfortable with? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the bond market is, you know, is important to watch. It's uh, you know, something we need to be afraid of. The level of rates today is actually still quite low. And I think even compared to a year ago, anything under 2% still looks pretty good. But you're right. The bond market, I mean, last week taught us, you know, you, we can't, we have to be a little fearful of the bond market. But for, for now, it's cooperating. I mean, you don't seem to be fearful of it, though, if you think we've got 9% or so to go over the next three months. Uh, yes. And, and I think part of the reason is I think Investors are got really cautious the last couple of weeks. There is a lot of liquidity coming into the economy. Stocks aren't that expensive. I know people talk about PEs, but you know we have to keep in mind in 2011, people thought interest rates were at historic lows and they were silly and rates rallied further. I think equity risk premium has a lot of room to fall, which means PEs can go up. But more importantly, I think earnings surprise could be tremendous. I mean, there's a lot of pent-up demand. Companies have already told us how much they cut costs. Even in 2008, on 10% lower revenues, the cyclical sectors had 20% higher earnings. That's in 08. In the last 12 months, companies have had a chance to reinvent themselves. I think we're going to be surprised by how much earnings are generated by Yes, are you still I mean, I know you still favor the cyclicals and the so-called epicenter stocks. And really, you coined that you deserve credit for that phrase. Um, but can technology work in this environment as well? Or is it going to be binary? One does, one doesn't. Uh, I, I think technology is going to work. Uh, we wrote about tech uh, actually probably in three of the last five commentaries, because I think it's important for investors to be mindful. A couple things. One, I think tech made its local bottom for the first half. So I think tech is going to rally, as you guys have been talking about. But if you look at the leadership within technology, it's the cyclical components. It's the semiconductors and EMS, semi-cap equipment. It's less this software asset light part of tech that's working. So I think tech is going to work. It's just you have to think asset heavy. By the way, Amazon is an asset heavy company as well. Right. But I mean, you're, you're, you're saying that you think tech by and large, has made its bottom? Yes. I think it made its low for the first half or maybe for the year last week. I mean, I'm just wondering about some of these, you know, high valuation, high growth momentum names. I mean, even Brad Gerstner, who lives in that world, was here with us this week saying he doesn't think that that correction is over. And surely if interest rates continue to rise, Tom, th those stocks are going to have probably a problem, don't you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, some of the parts of tech that are highly valued 
if they do rally, I think a lot of institutions will use it as an escape hatch. So those are the ones they're waiting to get out of. But tech as a sector, I think, has made its bottom. So on a price level, I think XLK or, you know, the triple Qs has made its bottom. Uh, and, and then it would also, in a way, apply to ARC funds as well. You know, the whole ARC complex. Wow. A lot of hot takes from you today, Tom Lee. Let's open it up to the committee. Farmer Jim, do you have a question for Tom Lee? Well, I, I think the question that I have is the obvious one of with the epicenter stocks, which I own a lot of them. We're just talking about Boeing. Is there have they gone too far too fast? Um, I'm enjoying this ride on Boeing. I mean, it's going straight up. But isn't there a point, Tom, whether it's Boeing, whether it's the casinos, whether it's uh, airlines in general, where things just have to pause and consolidate? Uh, yeah, I mean, all progress isn't a straight line. I think the problem that people have when they look at Epicenter is they have two sort of blinders. One is they think the 2019 highs should be the ceiling, which isn't correct because these companies have slashed operating costs as much as 30%. I mean, there's going to be a lot of operating leverage. And look at their cost of debt. It's lower than it was in 2019. They should have a better equity risk premium. So they should be much higher. And the second is Epicenter is barely owned. I, in our conversations and our Zooms that we do, the buy side is a little exasperated. They don't really like value stocks or epicenter. They think those are just merely rentals. I think they're under-owned. And as you know, under-owned stocks can surprise to the upside. I'm, w- I'm wondering, you know, you, you talk about where this recovery is going. I think we can admit that it's not going to be linear, right? I mean, they're, yeah. we're all optimistic. It's, you know, we're an optimistic society, I'd, I'd like to believe. And we're all waiting to get on with the rest of our lives. I, I've been saying that, you know, every day, everybody's thinking it and feeling it, but it may not be as linear as, as people think. And I'm wondering how that filters into your view about the stock market. There could be some fits and starts, right? We said uh, many, yeah. many, many months ago, Tom, that it wasn't going to be a, a, the light switch just being flicked back on, right? It's going to be a dimmer. Maybe the dimmer's starting to come up now and maybe it picks up some speed, but it's going to take a while for the light to, to really blare, isn't it? That's right. It's going to be a zigzag. Um, you know, the look after a breakout, I think stocks are going to consolidate, but the next 10% is higher. But we also have to keep in mind the roaring 20s didn't start until 20, you know, 19, 22, 23. It was several years after the pandemic. So there's a, you're right. It, it could be fits and starts. We don't know. I think the market's telling us it's a lot faster than we expect. No, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. The market's trying to price that in. It's feeling it's feeling good about it, too. Steve Weiss. So, so Tom, what's your base case on rates or do you not think that they matter in terms of uh, the speed and how high they go to justify your market view? Steve, I, I don't have a level. Uh, I'm watching the bond market with one eye and praying uh, that the markets don't get rattled. But as you know, bond markets are unpredictable and rates are unpredictable. So it's something I have to watch, but I think it's unforecastable. Shannon? Tom, I I think we talked a little bit about the first half. In the second half, if we get to this period of sort of consolidation and perhaps stabilization in rates, do you, I mean, do you anticipate that one of this kind of rising tide lifts all boats scenario that Joe and I were talking about earlier, do you anticipate that that's a possibility if we get stabilization in rates, whether it's at, you know, 185 or 220? Um, What do you, how do you feel about that in the second half of the year? 
Yeah, I think that's correct. I think if we look at the second half, I think one of the really big story arcs is going to be volatility falling. Uh, you know, the VIX spent almost the entire year last year, not only at a high level, but the curve, the futures curve was inverted. If you look at the periods in the past when the when that VIX structure normalizes, so it turns back to normal and then the high level drops, the average S&P gains over 20%. So there's a possibility that the stock market's going to really respond to falling volatility next year. By the way, you know, falling VIX is going to be great for growth stocks, but it's also going to be good for risk capital and PE. So everything rises. Rising tide lifts all boats. Joe, quickly you. Last question for Tom Lee. Tom, I know you're aware we're about to have the single uh, greatest momentum fund shift at the end of March. You're going to see selling in tech and healthcare, buying in financial and energies. Number one, is that priced in? And would you take the other side and potentially buy healthcare? Uh, yeah, it's um, on that momentum shift. I know you've been talking about it on here uh, for several weeks. I think it's a huge deal uh, because energy is literally zero in so many institutional manager portfolios. If it shows up in the momentum list, it's going to suddenly become a must-own sector. So it's a big deal. Uh, with regard to healthcare, I mean, that's a great quality sector, true value capture companies. I actually think that that's going to start to look really good this year. But again, it's tough because healthcare is so widely owned. It's the same issue with consumer staples, great companies there. They're just so widely owned that, you know, you have to unwind maybe 10 years of over ownership before they find real bottoms. Tom, they're saying on Twitter that you've got some supernatural powers or something to keep calling this market correctly. No pressure or anything, but we'll see if you get this one right. We'll talk to you soon. That's Fun Strats. Tom Lee, good weekend to you. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Up next, Pharma Jim has a new buy you need to know about. It's a stock that's up more than 120% in the past year. We're going to tell you the mystery chart coming up after the break. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We are back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. More than half of New York's Democratic congressional members are now calling for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign. Representative Jerry Nadler says that New Yorkers have lost confidence in Cuomo over harassment allegations and also how Cuomo has responded to them. The Texas power regulator has voted to drop about $1 billion in service fees during that February cold snap. Commission, however, took no action on petitions to cut high power prices charged by the state's grid operator. San Antonio city-owned utility is suing the Texas grid operator for charging, quote, excessive prices during the freeze. It's also asking the state court to bar a default that could affect its credit rating. And if you ever wondered what a check for $1 billion and $50 million looks like, 
that's it. It's going to four people who claimed the huge Mega Millions jackpot in January. Scott, they called themselves the Wolverine FLL Club. No individual names have been given, but they took the lump sum option. And after taxes, they're getting $557 million. And how about this? It was apparently an afterthought. Person was driving, saw the sign, pulled over to a Kroger, got a ticket, boom. Life changed. It's always how it works, right? <laughs> Just when like you don't, that. Oh, when you don't, you can't plan for stuff like that. It just happens. Rahel, thank you. Sure. All right, Rahel Solomon. All right, let's get the investment committee's moves right now. Pharma Jim has a new buy. Maestro, cue the video. Yep. It's going to be as easy as simply telling you that you should buy Tractor Supply on the show, and then you did yesterday? Yeah, well, Scott, first off, I, I brought it up to you. You'll remember that. I said my exact words were, the real crime is I don't own Tractor Supply Company. Um, and this is a case of why, I was thinking about why haven't I bought it before. It's a clear case of analysis becoming paralysis, and you let the stock move too long. But come down to the simple basics of this is a company that I know well as a consumer. I like it a lot. They're expanding their stores. I think it's actually underappreciated for what they provide as far as value and selection to the consumers. And as a sort of public service announcement, I will tell everybody, if you're near a tractor supply store, go there this weekend and check out the little chicks and ducklings. I'll be going with my family. I may end up with a, with a duckling. I've got my daughter <laughs> pressing me for that. We'll see what happens. Um, it, but it's a fun store. I'm glad to hear you chuckle because it is a fun store. And uh, the, the one rub against this is obviously it's up a lot yeah. recently. Yeah, they killed but eventually it. Eventually, they've been killing it. Yeah, they have. I think it continues. I'm aware of the price. And what I mean by that is I'm nibbling right now. I'm initiating with a very small position. I will look for any pullbacks to add to it. But I just can't keep waiting on the sidelines and talking about it. I mean, shoot, Scott, I've been talking about it probably for 18 well, months. Well, I so shamed you yesterday. I mean, started. let's be honest. I shamed you. I told you, you know, even one share, Jim. You can't be Farmer Jim I, yeah, and yeah. love tractors and yeah. not own tractor supply. I mean, what, what in the world's up with that? I just I should have given you the, the disclaimer that past performance isn't indicative of future results. Because <laughs> now I feel like you're your advisor. So I'm throwing that out there for you. I don't want you to make a terrible mistake or anything like that. By the way, you tweeted that you bought it and Tractor, <laughs> Tractor Supply actually saw it. And the CEO, Hal Lawton, so, uh, said you, he said, welcome, Farmer Jim. We're excited to have you as a customer and a shareholder. <laughs> How about that? So everybody's happy. Everybody Thank wins, you, hopefully, Lawton. in the end. But again, I know it's all funny. We're joking around. Stocks had a great run, and you are urging people to be cautious if they are following you on the tractor. I'm initiating Scott, it. I'll be adding to things. it on dips. All right. All right. Some other quick moves quickly. Joe, Perkin Elmer, you sold it. Why? Why? It's below the 200-day moving average here for the last week and a half. I've got way too much health care exposure. I've got a problem with CGen, which I'm going to hold on to. Healthcare is underperforming. You have to respect the technicals just as much as the fundamentals. Perkin Elmer I've held for a very long time, but it's obviously declining in a way that I'm not comfortable with. Steve Weiss, you bought Bungie. Tell us. Yeah, Joe's owned it for a while. As he's owned tra Tractor Supply for a while, to me, it's an inflation story. It's an under-the-radar stock. 
It's very cheap, you know, maybe 10 times earnings. And I think as you see inflation pick up, this will get noticed. Uh, the other one I bought is NPTN, Neophotonics. I re-entered it. I thought the quarter was going to be bad. It was not a good quarter, so I got back in about nine and change. When you take a look at what 2.6 is willing to pay for uh, opto, you know, uh, photoelectronics play, this stock is extremely cheap and bite-sized at $600 million. I think somebody come in and take out. Wow, that's a big gain for that, that stock. Shan, you have no new moves, but since we were talking about Epicenter and Cyclicals with Tom Lee, I wanted to get a few of your favorite picks from that area into this segment so you could talk about some individual names for us and our viewers. Martin Marietta, Air Products, and Stryker are your favorite value and reopen stocks. Can you tell us? Sure. Um, Martin Marietta, I mean, let's talk about infrastructure, right? Aggregate producer, they have residential, non-residential government. Um, air products, you know, this is an oligopoly in atmospheric gases. This is a backdoor clean energy play. Take a look at it. And then Stryker, um, healthcare is not is part of the reopening story. I know for all of us who've been working out for the last year, there's a myriad of ailments we probably need to get taken care of. Uh, and so I do think that healthcare is a great place to be in the back half of the year as part of this reopening story. All right, good stuff. We'll take a quick break. Straight ahead, the captain, basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is with us today. We're talking his education initiative for underserved students. We're looking forward to that in two minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. CNBC has partnered with Acorns, the saving and investing app, on a financial wellness and education initiative called Invest in You, Ready, Set, Grow. From dominating on the hardwood to delivering a better opportunity for this country's underserved students. That is the new challenge for NBA Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar through his Skyhook Foundation. Kareem joining us now along with a familiar face to CNBC viewers, Anthony Chan. He's the former global economist for J.P. Morgan's private bank. Kareem, welcome to the Halftime Report for the first time. It's good to see you. Anthony, good to see you again. Great to be back. Nice to be here. Thank All right, you. Kareem, I'll start with you. You say your mission is to, quote, give kids a shot that can't be blocked. Tell us how you're doing that. Yes. Well, uh, what we're doing is making it possible for kids to get a hands-on learning experience outdoors uh, for uh, about four or five days uh, when prior to the uh, pandemic. Since the pandemic, we've been using vans to, to get to the kids. You know, we work with the L.A. Unified School District, so we go to the, some of their learning centers and uh, recreation places with our vans, and uh, we're, we're still able to uh, to reach the kids and, and give them uh, a good experience. They uh, do hands-on uh, scientific experiments outdoors. It uh, gives them a sense of well-being, and it hopefully uh, puts them on a path to becoming uh, scientists, technicians, engineers, uh, and hopefully th this is where we start that uh, too much of uh, peer pressure can uh, pull pull the kids off. They all want to be LeBron James or uh, Jay Z or Beyonce, and they you know don't have really realistic ideas about what they can do with their educational opportunities. 
So uh, we want to get to them at an early enough uh, time and, uh, you know, make a difference in their life. And uh, kids that follow this path usually end up on, on a good path and uh, do, uh, do well in their studies and uh, go on to come back to their communities and contribute. 96% uh, graduate. I mean, the, the numbers are, are really startling. 96% graduation rate. You've got about 15,500 students thus far. Kareem, this is really about, and look, we spend a lot of time on our program talking about the, the digital revolution and why stocks that right. play into that have done so well. This is about helping kids succeed in a more digital world. Right, and it, it, it's been working. CampSkyHook.org. Uh, you can find out all about it, and uh, hopefully uh, we, the more support we get, the uh, the, the longer the program will, will last. Uh, we've got like a, a six-year waiting list, and uh, we could do a lot more, uh, you know, with, with better support. So that's what it's all about. Well, we're glad you're here telling your story. Anthony, how big can this program grow to? This program can go nationally. And Scott, it's all about creating opportunities, as Kareem has just mentioned. Remember, the stock market from the bottoms of March of last year is up 75.5%. Yesterday, the Federal Reserve reported that household net worth hit a new record to $130 trillion. Camp Skyhook is not about resenting all this progress. It's all about inclusion to make sure that everyone gets an opportunity. For less than $400 a child, you're going to get a, one of these college graduates in STEM that are going to make an average of four times what a psychology major makes. And then after that, we want to make sure these kids also have a good financial literacy because it's also about preserving and growing their wealth. I want these kids to know about the Reddit crowd. I want these kids, when they see that the 10-year the Treasury rate is at 1.6%, they don't panic like some people on Wall Street. They know that that's in the context of what the S&P forward consensus earnings of 21.8%. That means that if the consensus earnings go up, Guess what? The market will tolerate higher yields. I want these kids to be financially literate. And of course, I want them to be educated because it's all about closing the income inequality uh, gap that we have today. Kareem, you, you, you talked about the challenges just logistically of what the pandemic has certainly brought for all of you. But it's, it's also underscored the importance of technology in our lives. Um, that's undeniable, really, from the pandemic. It plays into exactly what you're trying to do. Absolutely. And it's become a social justice issue. You know, the, the kids that don't have, uh, for, for example, don't have access uh, to the Internet because uh, their neighborhood isn't served. Uh, you know, we've got to do something about that. You know, for, fortunately, uh, folks at Panasonic came on board and, you know, have, have helped us over, overcome that. But, uh, you know, without everybody uh, contributing, you know, what they can, uh, we don't get anything done. So uh, that's what the outreach is all about. And uh, it's, it's been very positive so far. And we just want to keep this rolling. Uh, I hope you indulge me a, a, a basketball question, Kareem, before I let you go. Who's the second best center of all time? Is it Bill Russell? Is it Shaq? Who's the second best of all time? Because we know who the best is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can't. I can't get into that, you know, because everybody played in a different era with different rules, you know. And um, some of these guys that you're talking about, uh, including me, were, uh, you know, changed the rules. They changed the rules for Bill Russell. They, they changed the rules for Wilt. Uh, they wanted to change the rules for Shaq, you know. <laughs> 
So, you know, how can you figure that out? I, I'm, I'm glad because it gives everybody something to argue about when they sit down and order their wings and, and a few brews, uh, you know, and they get ready to argue. But yeah. it's just going to be an argument. We'll, we'll never find out the answer to that question. See, that's why I said that's why we're, as long as we're arguing over the second best. Gentlemen, congratulations on your efforts. Kareem, uh, Anthony, it's great to see you again. You guys be well and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You can follow more of Kareem and Anthony's work at Skyhook Foundation. Go to CNBC.com forward slash invest in you. And one last thing we should note that NBC Universal Comcast Ventures are investors in Acorns. How about Netflix shares down 8% in a month? We're going to talk about its challenges, the big trades coming up. Plus, March, Women's History Month. We are spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors. Here is Pivotal Advisor CEO Tiffany McGee on inspiring the next generation. I heard from a father that said every day at lunchtime, he watches Halftime Report with his six-year-old little girl. And one time when I was on, she points to the screen and she says, Daddy, she looks like me. And so when I was her age, I didn't have women investors to look up to. So it warms my heart that little girls now can watch our show and see women like me and Courtney and Shannon and Liz. I think it's important for us to think about little girls and understand that they need to know what's possible. All right, welcome back. Netflix, take a look at shares there. Uh, under pressure, about 2% today. They're testing a crackdown, we're told, on password sharing. Rahel Solomon digging into this new note on Netflix's biggest challenge. Uh-oh, you got to watch with the password now. Oh, yes, I didn't know that was frowned upon, <laughs> yeah. Scott, but um, apparently they're cracking down. Yes, not mentioning that in the note, but Needham is laying out the case for why, as the economy reopens, Netflix could suffer. So, Scott, they say that one of the biggest risk factors for Netflix is subscriber churn, as opposed to its competitors, Netflix can't bundle services or cross-promote for free. And it doesn't have new subscriber growth drivers like news or sports. They also warn that Netflix needs a lower-tier option to compete with cheaper rivals. They say that without that, subscribers are just more likely to just cancel altogether rather than go to a cheaper option. And we just got that news that Disney Plus has reached 100 million subscribers. It took Disney just 16 months to reach that milestone, Scott. It took Netflix 10 years is, however, worth noting that Needham has been bearish on Netflix before. Last year, they argued that it was a luxury people would cut during the pandemic downturn. And in 2019, they said that it would lose subscribers without an advertising tier. Scott, our friends at Power Lunch, they're actually going to be talking with Laura Martin. She's the analyst behind this note today at 2 p.m. Eastern. So lots to discuss between some of those challenges we just outlined and also password sharing, which they're cracking down on. Good yes, they are. All right, Rahel, thank you once again. Uh, let's take a look, if we could, at shares of Tesla right now. Intraday, there's a report uh, that Elon Musk, the uh, CEO and the Tesla board, are being sued for tweeting in violation of SEC, uh, the SEC deal that, that uh, Mr. Musk and the Tesla board had made uh, with, uh, with the SEC. Presumably, the suit would be from the SEC, but we're waiting for confirmation on this and for more details that we can find. Uh, but this is an interesting story, Steve Weiss, and sort of always the risk with, you know, Musk as the CEO, brilliant guy. People love the stock. They love the company. Uh, he had that tweet, God, it's probably two years ago at this point, about taking Tesla private for 420, right? Turned out that that wasn't, in fact, the case. Uh, and everybody sort of got up in arms about, you know, Musk's tweeting. The SEC has weighed in. They had a deal. And now apparently he's broken that, according to this report that we're seeing now. And if he's truly broken the deal, uh, the penalties could be significant for Tesla shareholders. 
which the SEC can come in and say, we don't want you to be an officer of a public company. If you recall, that was one of the one of the issues when this first happened. So, look, I think Tesla has its own problems going forward. We're seeing more and more electric cars come on. China's a huge market. I bought Neo for an intermediate trade because I think they're going to take share. So this is a potentially, I wouldn't say devastating, but close to devastating issue if it turns out on a worst case scenario. Yeah, it was on August 7th of 2018. I'm looking back here on my computer when Elon Musk tweeted, quote, I'm considering taking Tesla private at 420 funding secured. Uh, that was a big story at the time. We may even been, have been on the air, and I think we were uh, at that moment. Uh, after that, Elon Musk and the SEC had agreed to a settlement where Musk would pay $20 million in a fine. Uh, he would step down as Tesla's chairman for three years and get pre-approval of his tweets from Tesla's legal counsel. So here we go today with this apparent development. Again, waiting for confirmation of that and some more details of it. Nobody has owned Tesla, I don't think, on this panel, Jim, um, you know, which, which has been... I don't know if it's all that surprising, but the stock has been an overwhelming winner. And the people who love this company don't care about any of that stuff. They love Musk. They love Tesla. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, no, you just nailed it. It is in many degrees a cult stock. And when you have a stock like that, people just don't care about valuation. Um, without pounding my chest, look, I'm a professional. So is everybody else on the panel. We look at valuations. We look at, at, at Tesla versus General Motors versus Ford versus Volkswagen, and we say it doesn't make sense. Um, so I know I'm going to get some hate tweets on this, but it doesn't make sense, folks. Buy it if you want to, but you're not going to get it from me. Yeah, it may be an investor, by the way. I, I shouldn't jump to conclusions and, and, and assume that it's the SEC um, uh, suing uh, Mr. Musk well, Scott, in violation. Can I, can I could, say one other thing? Uh, let me just finish that. It, it could be a, a shareholder. We just don't know. Phil LeBeau is, is joining us now. Phil, do we have any more details on this? We don't, Scott. Unfortunately, we don't know if it's an investor, if it is the SEC, who exactly is suing Elon Musk and Tesla or reportedly suing them uh, for being in violation of the uh, SEC agreement when it came when it comes to tweets and whether or not they are pre-approved by the board. Uh, you know, this is and you guys were talking about this earlier. This has been speculated for some time that shortly after the deal was agreed to, including the $20 million fine, uh, when tweets would come out from Elon Musk, I mean, I would get emails from people and they'd say, was this approved by the board? Was this approved by the board? And initially, some of the uh, first tweets, we would reach out to Tesla and we'd say, was the board, did they approve this? Um, over time, we would not hear back from Tesla in terms of whether or not a particular tweet had been approved by the board. So this has been one of those areas of speculation, Scott, that people have talked about, which is when does the board truly look at a tweet before it's sent and when does it just go out as uh, as it has in the past yeah. from Elon Musk? Let me um, speaking of speculation, I incorrectly speculated that it, it may be the, the SEC that's doing the suing as a result of a break in the deal. Uh, Bloomberg is reporting that it is, in fact, uh, an investor. So I just want to clear that up. I stand corrected um, on that. But, Phil, th this is this has always been the risk. It's just a matter of how much you think that part right. of the risk matters, because it hasn't mattered at all for Tesla. The stock is the best performing stock out of the S&P 500 since the March bottom. It's been up like 700 percent. That's the story that the market has focused on more. And with regard to Elon Musk and his tweeting, 
Let's go back and look at what happened when he was uh, taken to court by the SEC and they ultimately reached this agreement. Looking back now, it almost seems quaint. It was like, okay, so he sent out some tweets. It was about taking the company private at 420. Uh, it was, you know, should he have done that? No. But looking back now, it's a blip. It's a blip on the radar, which then makes you wonder, this lawsuit, while it's getting attention today, and not a ton of attention, but it's getting some attention right now, will people even, will they bat an eye at this? They may look back and say, look, this is what you get with Elon Musk. You get him unfiltered. And generally speaking, while his unfiltered comments have at times come back to bite him in the you-know-what, uh, generally speaking, when he speaks his mind, uh, it has not been a case where people are unhappy about it. If anything, his supporters, his investors, they love it. They think Elon unfiltered is part of the appeal of both Tesla and of Elon Musk. All right. We'll follow this story. Phil, thanks for running to the camera you for bet. us, uh, adding some perspective uh, on this Important story. All right, time for Futures Outlook the week ahead. Jeff Kilberg has a slew of things he's keeping an eye on next week. Let's listen. Well, Scott, we're really excited about next week. Certainly, we have a fascinating week with earnings on deck, a nice broad swath of earnings. We're looking at Nike, Starbucks, FedEx, as well as Dollar General. In addition to that, Judge, we're looking at some of the data. We'll be interested to see the Philly Fed. That's the manufacturing index. Help us better understand how the economy really is reopening. Additionally, we're looking at housing starts. The housing market's been on fire. We'll be interested to see if that can continue with the data being represented. Lastly, we're going across the pond to the Eurozone CPI index. Help us better understand what some of that global inflation looks like. When we talk about inflation, that really has been the movement in the markets place. We saw an acute move higher in the 10-year note, touched 160. I think the Fed on Wednesday, and we're all excited here in Chicago on Wednesday. I'm going to have a green libation in my hand. But before that green libation, I want to understand what Fed Chairman Powell is going to talk about, because I believe he's going to walk and talk the 10-year yield lower. That will be a plus for equity. All right, that's Jeff Kilberg for us. We'll take a break. We'll come back with final trades next. Reminder, tune in tonight. CNBC's on the edge, 6 o'clock Eastern. Sharp opinions, the hottest takes, fierce debates about the biggest players and news in the business world today. I hope everybody joins me at 6 o'clock tonight. Let's do final trades now. Shannon, you're up first. Estee Lauder. We're talking about the consumer coming back. This is prestige beauty products. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot more opportunity to be shopping in person, which benefits this company. Um, and I love the uh, opportunities in, in China as well. All right. The man and his tractor supply. Farmer Jim. <laughs> uh, well, somewhat related, General Motors, and I know I did it yesterday. Yeah. I'm not just doing it because Steve is on. It, it's clearly breaking out from a consolidation over the last two months. Just take a look at the chart. You'll see why. Why she have a comment on uh, on GM, which I, presumably you're still in? Yeah, I, I would just say you're welcome, Jim. <laughs> More like the other way around. More like the other way around. Uh, final trade, Steve Weiss. <laughs> Vuzix, they report the quarter on Monday. Don't pay attention to what the bottom line is. Listen for what they say on the order book, on new products. I think it'll do quite well from this level. All right, what do you have for me, Joe T? Morgan Stanley in September of 2000 was a $91 stock. It's going back there. All right, good weekend, everybody. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.